Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the fifth of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, volume one in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. Enjoy! Chapter 22 When Lincoln woke up some time later, all was quiet. Everyone was gone from the table except for Shamira, who was sitting quietly drawing. Also absent from the room were the spectacle-making supplies and equipment. Lincoln thought that the master must have been in a good mood indeed to exempt him from the move and clean-up. As Lincoln focused, he saw that Shamira kept looking up from her drawing to a small hologram suspended in the air in front of her, and standing on the table next to the drawing was Pan, reduced to about the size of a man's thumb. "'Where is everyone?' Lincoln asked quietly. Shamira looked at him. "'Oh, hi. The guys are at the shop. Julieta and her mother are having a nap. What are you and the little guy doing? Drawing the design for a better lathe.' "'Oh, yeah,' he yawned. "'The one we talked about.' Pan turned to Lincoln and smiled. "'Ah!' Like the daemon Hypnos returning from Erebos, my youngest master returns to the realm of the living. Lincoln blinked and smiled weakly. He noticed his unfinished bowl of food had not been removed. He raised his head and leaned on his elbows, reached into the bowl and began to nibble. What type of lathe? he asked. Observe, Master Lincoln, Pan said. He commanded the hologram to follow him across the table to Lincoln. Then, as he flicked his now tiny wrist, his arm turned to a long, thin pointer. "'You will no doubt notice how this design bears some resemblance to Master de la Capa's lathe, vis-à-vis -vis the heavy flywheel. But we have introduced a foot pedal instead of the simple hand crank to make it move. This leaves both hands free for the shaping tools.' Also, notice that instead of a birch pole, we have introduced a wooden extension rod, which is attached to both the pedal and the flywheel. At the end of the rod is a U-shaped crank handle. As the pedal is depressed, the flywheel now spins in a continuous one-way motion. He moved the pointer in a circle, and the three-dimensional image became animated. This one-way motion of the flywheel produces efficiencies I am sure you can appreciate, given your experience thus far. Yeah, I can see that, Lincoln said. But what I don't understand, little guy, is all this is kind of obvious. Why can't the master figure out things like this for himself? Ho, ho, why not indeed, youthful lord? Obvious it is to you and me and everyone else who has lived in modernity. But remember, in the past, changes happened slowly. Appreciate that every commonplace item which filled your life back home in the future was once a revolutionary idea, to wit, the example at hand. This seemingly simple foot pedal and flywheel, in combination with the articulated crank, was an invention not devised till around 1500. And it took Leonardo da Vinci, one of the greatest human thinkers ever, to conceive it. That's over 150 years from the present time period. Seven generations of humans, in fact. Shimira looked up from her drawing. She had just finished a detail and passed it over to Lincoln. 
This little design feature apparently doesn't get invented for 500 years. It's a removable dop, she said. This way, one craftsman can work on multiple lenses, one after the other, without having... What did you call it, Pan? Machine downtime? Yes, mistress, exactly. An excellent drawing, too, if I may say so. We shall make half a dozen removable dops for the machine. It will be known in the 19th and 20th centuries as the assembly line process. All this should make the shop over 200% more efficient. Now that I understand, Lincoln said. I shall have Handsome show Master de la Capa these drawings in a few days, Pan added. Hey, that's not fair, Lincoln protested. Why can't I or Shamira? Oh, this is a patriarchal society, young master. The older male should take the lead. You will be his trusty sidekick, and Shamira, his scribe, and me, the unseen controlling hand, like Zeus from high upon Mount Olympus. Well, I don't know. A creaking was heard from upstairs. Give me my pot, girl! My pot! The senora's voice whined. Pan pointed his wand at the hovering hologram, and it disappeared. He nodded, and the wand turned back into his hand. Mistress Shamira, put the drawings back in your portfolio. Master Lincoln, find Handsome and tell him that when we finish the plans in a few days, he must be ready to show them to the master. Quickly, be gone. We shall all confer tomorrow at our first opportunity. And with that, Pan disappeared in a whirling gust of holographic smoke back into Shamira's veil. As Lincoln exited the house, he looked up at the sun's position to see what time of day it was. He yawned, still feeling tired to his bones. As he put one wobbly foot in front of the other, making his way around puddles and animal droppings, two thoughts consumed him. One was the comfort of his straw and wool blanket, the other the lathe design he had just seen. He was thinking about the procedures he would be responsible for, keeping the interchangeable dops loaded and turning them over. Walking into the shop, Lincoln saw all the equipment, some new tables, the old lathe, the shaping tools, pots, all the supplies arranged neatly on hooks or shelves. Handsome was sitting on the lathe, as if he were operating it. "'Hey, you're awake! Finally!' Handsome said. "'Yeah,' Lincoln answered wearily. "'Where's the master and ugly?' "'They went to some church to talk to a priest. "'I'm supposed to keep an eye on things. "'Make sure nobody breaks in before we get a proper lock. "'What are you doing?' "'Oh, I'm friggin' tired. I'm going to sleep.' "'He started up the ladder. "'How are Shamira and Pan doing?' Handsome inquired. "'Oh, yeah, uh, they're almost finished the design for the new lathe. "'We're going to show the master in a few days. "'I was supposed to tell you.' "'Was Julietta there?' "'No, your girlfriend was asleep with her mum. "'She's not my... "'Yeah, yeah,' Lincoln said, disappearing up into the loft. "'Lincoln took the thick wool blanket down from where he had it airing, "'wrapped it around himself, and nestled into the straw pile. "'Thank God. I mean, thank goodness the master said it's a day of rest tomorrow. "'I think I'll sleep all day.' Chapter 23 Brong, 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 dang, dang, dong. Church bells from all over Verona rang out loudly in the back of Lincoln's sleeping mind. A diverse cacophony of chimes was integrated into another dream he was having. He was flying, soaring like a bird high over Verona, 
but the dream ended abruptly with the master's voice shouting, "'Everybody up! Time for church!' The bells were no longer part of his dream. They were real. Lincoln opened his eyes and saw the master's head sticking up through the loft's opening in the floor. He was wearing a new pair of spectacles, with a shiny red ribbon holding the frame on his head. His face also looked scrubbed. Lincoln blinked his eyes to try and clear up both his vision and his thinking. Was this the old master or the new one? Then Agostino smiled, and a row of rotten teeth informed him of their owner. "'You boys, come to the house. Eat, and then we go. If you're not there quick, no food.' Finally Lincoln got his bearings and realized he had not only slept all yesterday afternoon, but right through the night. Hansom was sleeping next to him. "'I thought this was a day of rest,' Lincoln said weakly. The master's eyes sharpened. "'We go to church to give thanks and rest. Now move your ass!' And he was gone. Instead of being disobedient about getting out of bed as in the past, the boys forced themselves up, no matter that they were sore and tired. They found Ugolino downstairs, squatting over the chamber pot in the corner of the shop. "'Do you ever sleep?' Hansom yawned. "'Yeah. Where do you go?' Lincoln asked. "'I go here and there, and sleep here and there,' Ugolino said, pulling up his pants without wiping. "'Don't forget to wash your hands before you sit next to me at the table,' Lincoln said to Ugolino as they left the shop together. They washed their hands and faces in the frosty water of the barn's rain barrel." "'Hey!' Ugolino said, devilishly. When the others looked, he pretended to wipe his hand on his rear end, then shouted, "'Now I wipe my hands on both of you!' The other two screamed in mock horror and started running, Ugolino taking chase. As he touched one of them, it turned into a boisterous game of tag. When they reached the front door of the house, they stopped the horseplay, took off their hats, and entered the house quietly, all smiling. The smell in the house was wonderful.' Under Pan's tutelage, Shamira and Julieta had made rabbit pastry pie. Everyone, including the Signora, was in a good mood. Ugolino's eyes showed that he was genuinely overcome with emotion. "'Master, master, we are truly eating like princes,' he said in a voice filled with awe and wonder. After their special meal, Lincoln found himself part of a happy procession that was making its way to church. The sun was just rising.' The Signora had been left at the house where Master della Capa said she'd be happier and the Archangel Michael could perform a personal mass for her. Anyway, he said, this first visit to church is as much for business as it is for our souls. Lincoln saw how the townspeople stared at them. It seemed that Agostino was getting the effect he'd planned. They weren't dressed too badly compared to many others. Giulietta was certainly pretty to look at, and it was obvious that Agostino, by his trailing entourage and bearing, was a craftmaster of some success. And there were his spectacles. Most people in Verona had never seen them before. Lincoln was amused by how many onlookers went gape-mouthed or just pointed at them. The master nodded to most and bowed to a few of the better-dressed citizens. Agostino had told Lincoln, while they were working on the shop, that the discs for the eyes had become popular not only for their utility, but also as a status symbol. People walked around town wearing them even when they didn't need them. Master della Capa's strategy was to play this phenomenon to the hilt. "'What church are we going to?' Hansom asked Ugolino. "'San Zino,' Ugolino answered, "'and I think you will all see a surprise there.' "'What surprise?' "'Oh, if I tell you, it won't be a surprise!' And with that, Ugolino made a little pantomime of sewing up his lips and did his best to look mysterious.
Lincoln and Shamira were also receiving a guided tour of the city. With Pan's little brass lamp sewn into the hem of Shamira's veil, the imp could see where they were. He gave the two a running commentary. According to historical records, this is a main road called Corso del Palio. Southward, it leads to one of the city's seven gates. You can see it in the distance if you look to the left. It is that larger tower with a wooden roof. If you turn your attention up the road to the right or north, the road leads to the oldest part of Verona. You can see, not far off, the spires and flags of Castle Vecchio. The older section of Verona is ringed not only by the wall you are seeing, but also by the winding Adige River. In the early part of the 14th century, about 30,000 souls lived here. That's a very large city for this period. Then again, in our 24th century, it would be among the largest cities on the planet. They crossed Corso del Palio and continued on a narrower, unpaved side street. There was a mix of row homes right on the street, and also several free-handing houses and farm fields, similar to the first history camp. They then came to the old inner city wall and turned left. After a while, a tower came into view. Lincoln stretched his neck up at the structure. "'Hey, I saw that tower in a dream I had last night,' he said to Shimira. "'I believe that is the bell tower of San Zeno,' Pan continued. "'It is seventy-two meters high and is on the spot of an old monastery. "'In fact, an interesting fact about the church proper "'is that it is actually a church built upon a church "'that was built yet again upon an original smaller church. "'And the original church, now well below ground, "'is the crypt of St. Zeno, the church's patron saint "'and the first bishop of Verona.' A short time later, both the church and bell tower of San Zeno loomed over them. "'I remember seeing this church and tower,' Shamira said, "'but it was old and worn. But this is amazing. Everything is so brightly painted.' "'Yeah,' Hansom agreed, in Earth Common. "'It's really different.' "'Wow,' Lincoln added. "'San Zeno is zippy.' They were also awed by the diverse population of the churchgoers. The gangly workers, the tiny widows in black— the sharp-eyed, dull, hopeful, hungry, and again the children. So many children, some quietly in tow, but there were always a few breaking away from the herd and running wild in the square. Then, as they got up close to the church, they noticed the church carvings. One of the things San Zeno is known for, young master and mistress, Pan said, are the carvings on the front of the church. The panels on either side of the great doors are over ten meters high. Eighteen panels depict scenes from the Bible, and above the door note the great rose window. It looks like a wheel, Lincoln observed. Very good, young master. The window is called the Wheel of Fortune, with twelve spokes and window panes. And see the human figures on it, some standing, some falling, one hanging on for dear life. Oh, yeah. Look at that, Sham. Lincoln giggled at the humorous carvings. But Shamira didn't answer. Her artistic eyes seemed to be looking everywhere, letting the visual flood wash over her. As they neared the church, they melted into the throng, a river of worshippers flowing into the cavernous building. Hey, there's dragons, Lincoln laughed as they approached the open doors, and monsters everywhere. Gargoyles, elves, imps, and dragons hovered above the crowd from on top of the columns and out from keystones. More dragons were carved at the entrance stairs' banisters. As they walked up the stairs, 
the crowd passed between two huge carved lions, their growls frozen in red sandstone. And over it all, centered in the casing of the door, welcoming all the pilgrims to worship, was the brightly painted 8th century statue of St. Zeno, and below him, the famous bronze doors of San Zeno. Look how these huge wooden doors are decorated with 48 primitive square bronze plate bas-reliefs. They depict events and tales from the life of St. Zeno. The House of Della Capa now crossed the threshold of the church. As impressed as Lincoln and the others were by the craftsmanship of San Zeno's outside, it was instantly trumped by the opulent grandeur, the overpowering gilded and tiled sumptuousness of the building's interior. The sheer internal volume and multitude of details dwarfed the group, showing how the designers were successful in their intention to say to the visitor, You are tiny. God and the church are great. Wow, Lincoln said. What happened to Zippy? Shamira asked, equally overwhelmed at the artistic and engineering diversity. Zippy just don't cut it, he answered, still gawking at everything. The ceiling is said to imitate the construction of a ship's keel, but upside down, Pan continued. The complex and intersecting arches of the ceiling are covered with intricate mosaic ceramics, and every small area that isn't mosaic is covered by richly painted religious frescoes. The length of the nave's roof is supported on either side by a double phalanx of massive columns carved from polished peach and tan marble. The columns support arches which, in turn, hold up the vaulted ceiling and roof. These towering walls are constructed with alternating courses of brick, limestone, and more marble. Lincoln noticed that two-thirds of the way down the church's length, it was separated into upper and lower floors. Where do those steps go? he asked quietly. The stairs going down is where the original smaller church is. The stairs up are where the richer citizens and nobles sit during services. The heavy banister along the top floor is called the ambo. The ambo ran between two heavy ascending marble stairs at each side of the church. The rich people sit up there while we stand down here? Lincoln asked. The master looked over at the boy, scowling and putting a finger to his lips. Lincoln smiled at him. Yes, that's the way it is, Pan confirmed. Below this section is the original church, now the crypt of St. Zeno. Marble steps, the whole width of the nave, take a visitor under one of five arches that support the ambo and floor. The underpart is only about twenty feet high, and its ceiling is supported by many Corinthian columns. The crypt has many parts, but the main one is the resting place of the St. Zeno relics, protected behind an ornate wrought-iron gate. "'Hey, St. Zeno's bones are down those stairs,' Lincoln said excitedly to Handsome. The master scowled, then quickly smiled and nodded toward a well-dressed person whom he caught staring at his discs for the eyes. Lincoln tried to make a funny face at Handsome, but the older boy had his gaze set on Julieta. "'Girls!' thought Lincoln disdainfully and went back to looking around the church. There was a constant hum of gossiping, whispering, laughing, babies and children squawking. People were lighting candles or lying prostrate on the floor in front of the Stations of the Cross. Wow, Lincoln repeated to himself. Then his gaze went over to Handsome and Ugolino. Handsome nonchalantly moved next to Julietta, ostensibly to get a better view of something in the church. Of course, Ugolino had to follow, bumping Handsome out of the way and pretending to squint at whatever had caught his competitor's eye. 
Julietta, ignoring the boy's obvious and clumsy attention, stepped away from them and took Shamira's arm. Then something in the crowd really did catch Ugolino's eye. He began waving frantically and jumping up and down, trying to get someone's attention. It was a priest, coming down the stairs, fighting like a salmon swimming upstream against the crowd. Ugolino waved a second time, this time whistling through his teeth. Before he finished the shrill note, the master's hand had slapped him on the top of the head. The priest saw Ugolino and waved back. Lincoln was surprised to see that this priest was wearing discs for the eyes, just like the master. The priest elbowed his way through the crowd to the Della Cappas. "'Hey, see what I told you!' an excited Ugolino said to Handsome. "'A surprise! It's the priest I carried the dead Bambino for. I've visited his church many times since.' "'You've been sleeping here at San Zeno?' Handsome asked. "'No, if Father Lorenzano lives at the little church just outside the city walls. "'He helps the big priest here sometimes. "'Hey, how you doing, Padre?' Ugolino said as the priest got to them. "'He was perhaps in his early thirties. "'Buon giorno, Ugolino, my son. "'Master della Cappa.'" Chapter 24 Handsome watched Agostino make a big show of shaking the priest's hand exuberantly. "'Father Lorenzano, this is my daughter, Giulietta.' The priest looked at Giulietta, and Handsome saw his eyes go wide. "'Buongiorno, signorina,' Lorenzano said. "'Welcome to Verona and to church. Do you find Verona to your liking? Do you have a father confessor yet?' At this he smiled broadly, showing a black front tooth. "'Grazie for your welcome, Father Lorenzano. "'This is a wonderful church you have here. "'Yes, I am finding Verona much to my liking. "'And I do have a father confessor. "'Father Aaron has been guide to my faith since I was a little girl.' "'I've not heard of Father Aaron. "'Is he in Florence still?' "'No, he is itinerant,' Julietta said with a little laugh. "'An itinerant priest is your father confessor?' "'Well, that's how he describes himself,' Julietta laughed again. "'Actually, I believe he travels and confers with many churches in different cities. "'He is a scholar. I think he has even been an adviser to His Holiness the Pope.' Handsome took a half-step forward. "'Father Aaron is a very interesting fellow,' he interjected. "'Instantly, Handsome felt Agostino's hand on his chest, pushing him back. "'Romero, what are you doing?' "'Speak only when you are spoken to,' Agostino rebuked. "'Then he smiled at the priest. "'Yes, Father Aaron is my good friend of many years.' "'A scholar to his holiness,' the young priest repeated. "'Well, one cannot compete with that. "'However, as I have agreed to introduce your father to all the priests in the city, "'I shall be around your home now and again. "'If you are in need of a confessional, I am at your service, signorina.' "'That is most generous of you,' Agostino said as Julietta curtsied. Suddenly the church's congregants became quiet. As one, the crowd looked to the side entrance of the church. A procession of important-looking people entered. Father Lorenzano became excited. "'It's the Podesta della Scala. He is at church here today. I must attend. Peace be with you,' he said, giving the sign of the blessing quickly as he left." "'And also with you,' Giulietta, Agostino, and Ugolino replied together. The entire church watched as the Podesta and his entourage ceremoniously climbed the steps to the upper gallery. 
It must have been a surprise visit because priests were flocking from all sides of the church, pushing their way through the crowds. By the time the nobleman was at the top of the stairs, an older clergyman with fine silk and gold vestments was seen running to greet him too. "'Look at the bishop!' Ugolino cried, and to the surprise and delight of Agostino, the bishop of San Zeno was also wearing discs for the eyes. Master della Cappa became very excited. He shook Giulietta's shoulder. "'See, daughter, our place in the city is assured.' "'I did good, eh, master?' Ugolino shouted, his face red with excitement. "'Buon, my boy, buon. Maybe you aren't useless after all.' Master de la Capa prayed harder and louder than he ever prayed before. He crossed himself with great exaggeration, kneeled with embellished humility, stood, knelt again, said amen, all with a great fervor. And every time he looked up and saw the bishop standing there, in front of almost a thousand worshippers wearing his spectacles— he renewed his vigor. He could hear many people whispering, questioning the object on the bishop's face. Many were also pointing over to him. At one point in the service, Father Lorenzano stepped up to the altar to assist the bishop, still wearing his spectacles. The bishop whispered something to the younger priest, and Father Lorenzano untied the ribbon on the bishop's spectacles. Agostino held his breath. Perhaps he didn't like them, Agostino worried. But then the bishop took the spectacles and read while holding them in front of the large Bible. And when he looked up and began to orate, he held his hands outstretched, pointing and showing them off better than before. This is even better, Agostino whispered to Giulietta loudly. He shows what they are used for. Ugolino seemed not to be able to contain himself. Thank Cristo, he blurted out, and instantly found the master's hand over his mouth. But the master didn't look angry. At the end of the service, Master de la Capa became the center of attention. He chatted up anyone who looked like they might have five soldi to part with, and by the time the church crowd thinned, many people had directions to the de la Capa shop. Father Lorenzano came running up to them, all smiles. He stood right next to Handsome and Shamira, completely ignoring them. "'Master de la Capa, Father Lorenzano began, "'the bishop wishes me to thank you for his discs for the eyes. "'To be able to read the Holy Bible again makes him feel like a young man. "'Many of the nobles on the upper level were impressed also.' "'Bless you, Father Lorenzano, bless you,' the master said, "'grabbing the priest's hands and kissing them. "'Then Agostino felt something being pressed into his palm. "'When he looked, there was a five-soldy coin staring at him.' "'What's this?' "'The bishop wanted to pay you for the glasses, my son,' Lorenzano said, tilting his head sideways and smiling. "'That's what they cost, no?' "'Yes, but no, no, I can't take money from the bishop.' Agostino took the coin and pressed it back into the priest's palm. He looked into the priest's seemingly kind eyes, then grabbed his own coin pouch and took out two more coins. "'And please, take these and give them to the bishop. Thank him for me. Tell him how much I admired his service and his church.' And then he took another coin. "'And this coin is for your church, and for your help, Father. My household thanks you.' "'It is my joy to serve,' the priest said. "'I will do as you ask.' He closed his not-so-clean fingers around the coins. "'Master de la Capa, we must let every church in Verona know of your wonderful new shop and how you can make old eyes new again.' Agostino bowed to him. The priest looked at Giulietta, and she curtsied. Then Lorenzano rattled the coins in his hand and laughed. 
And uh, we see you later, eh, Yogi? See, Father, see, Ugolino answered. Father Lorenzano laughed, turned, slapped Ugolino on the bottom, and strolled away. On the way home, even Ugolino found it hard to keep up with Agostino's pace. The troop of teens was like a frenetic gaggle of geese, all chasing after the gander. Ugolino caught up with Agostino and pulled at his sleeve. Master, Ugolino said in breathless amazement, you gave Father Lorenzano the bishop's five soldi back? Then he smacked his own head. And then all that other money. The master chuckled nervously, like he had just escaped the jaws of a hungry shark. He's not a stupid man, that Lorenzano. If he didn't offer to pay, then the glasses would have been a gift from me. He couldn't have asked me for money, but him paying for them forced me to give him back even more, to look more generous than he. Oh, those priests are tricky with money. Trickier than the Jews, master? Ugolino asked. Why, at least the Jews are straightforward. They're tough when they're doing business, but they don't ever do this to you. And he gave the appropriate rude Italian gesture to illustrate his meaning. Ugolino looked sheepish and took a few steps backward. "'All of you listen,' the master said, continuing his pace. "'Now is a critical time in our house's recovery. "'When people come to purchase discs for the eyes, we must have them. "'That means we must work hard over the next days to build stock. "'However,' he said, pointing a finger in the air, "'I am the only competent lens grinder, so you must all keep me supplied. "'We must lose no time.' "'Girls, you keep the house in order. Keep food and drink ready. "'Boys, you must keep the shop clean, not fight and do exactly what I say. "'Romero?' "'Yes, master,' Handsome answered, running to his side. "'I'm thinking that you might be able to learn to mount the lenses in their frames.' "'I'm sure I could, master. "'Daughter?' "'See, papa?' Julieta lifted her skirts off the muddy street and hurried forward.' "'Child, your mother must be kept under control. "'We can brook no distractions to our purpose. "'Do you understand?' "'See, si, papa.' "'Moruccio, Ugolino?' "'See, si, master,' they echoed together. "'Ugolino, you must keep the workshop clean. "'A clean workshop is a productive workshop. "'Will you do this and not run off?' "'Of course, master. I'm your man.' "'Moruccio, you must keep me supplied with whatever I need while I'm working. "'Learn to anticipate what tool I need.' You can do this? You got it, boss. I mean, master. And when you have a bit of time, you help you Galino clean and carry wood too, eh? Whatever you say, master. Something came into Ugolino's head, like an unwelcome bird dropping. He had just become the bottom dog in the pack again. He slowed down, trying to work this out. How could the master do this? It was he, Ugolino, who got Father Lorenzano to have the bishop wear the discs for the eyes. It was also Ugolino who had stolen back the lathe and protected the master when he was drunk. He should be rewarded by getting the best jobs in the shop. Then the master would respect him and let him marry Julietta. He fell a few steps behind as he thought all this. Everyone looked back to see why Ugolino had slowed. Hey, what's the matter with you? the master asked impatiently. I said we must all keep busy. Ugolino looked Agostino in the eye. He wanted to scream, but the master was looking at him with such intensity he knew it was no use. He put his head down and walked quickly again. "'What cannot be helped must be endured,' he remembered being told by another priest. "'And after all,' Ugolino thought, "'we're all eating like princes.'" The next few days were frantically busy, and Ugolino did his best. 
He cleaned and swept the shop better than he ever did before. He picked up every grain of grit and ground glass he could find, placing it nearby in the trash box. But even as he tried to enjoy these small personal triumphs, he'd look up and see the master patting Handsome on the back, telling him what a good job he was doing in learning to mount lenses. This rankled Igulino so much that when he sat down to another wonderful meal, it gave him little comfort, especially when the master trumpeted another of Handsome's successes to everyone. He was rankled even further when he saw Julieta and the orphan boy actually exchange smiles. Chapter 25 A few mornings later, Handsome sat next to Shamira at repast and spoke in a low voice. Pan wants to talk to both of us. Young mistress, Pan began, at dinner, give the signora an extra large portion. We need her to take a longer nap than usual. This will allow us to finish the designs for the advanced lathe. If we can finish our work today, we can display it to Master de la Capa tonight after supper. As expected, after the old woman stuffed herself with food, she trundled up to her bed and insisted her daughter join her. As Handsome left for the shop, given what Pan had shown him the night before, he anticipated a very interesting meeting after supper. Plus, Pan had shown him another idea he would save for a little later, plans for a handheld telescope. This was an invention, Pan explained, that wasn't supposed to be invented for another hundred and fifty years. When Shamira later came to the shop with a pitcher of cool water, she nodded at Handsome and said, "'The plans, they're all done.' At supper, Handsome watched a very tired and obviously sore master sitting at the table. In three days they had made twenty-one pairs of discs for the eyes, seven of each strength. Agostino's eyes were very tired. Handsome watched him at the supper table, eyes closed, chewing his food. The girls had made the same beautiful chicken dish that Chimera had learned from the first signora. All were quietly devouring their meal, when the master asked Ugolino if he had heard from Father Lorenzano. When Ugolino said no, the master became agitated. "'Go visit him tonight. Make sure he hasn't forgotten his promise. After all, he's been paid for this favor. But don't tell it to him like that. Don't talk about money at all.' Ugolino said he was very busy and didn't know if he'd be able to go that night. The master, so tired from his long hours of work, banged his hand on the table. "'Busy? You're the least busy of all!' "'Maybe tomorrow night, master.' "'Tonight!' the master yelled. "'Why are you questioning me? I thought this priest was your friend.' Ugolino fell silent and put his head down. Pan whispered to Handsome. "'Say, master, you look tired.' Handsome repeated this. The master grunted, not opening his eyes. Pan said something else, and Handsome repeated it. "'Master, I have an idea to make us more productive.' The master opened his eyes into a suspicious squint. "'It's an idea for an improved lathe. We can have it made by a local carpenter.' "'What nonsense are you talking about? Improve? How?' "'Let me show you, master.' Uh, "'Let me show you, master,' Handsome parroted. "'Carmela is good with a piece of charcoal and parchment, so we work together to make some plans.' The master's bleary eyes opened fully. Shamira got her satchel of drawings, and after Handsome moved Agostino's bowl and swept the crumbs away, she put several pieces of paper in front of the lensmaker. He stared at the drawings, taking time to understand what he was looking at. The way in which Pan had instructed Shamira resulted in a very modern set of plans. 
See, Master, Handsome explained, here is the front view of the lathe, a top view, and two side views, all in proportion. Parts had local measurements, all precisely worked out by pan. You see, Master, both hands remain free to work on the glass. The motion of the spindle is created by a foot pedal. These are removable dops. The operator can concentrate on grinding and polishing without the bother of having the lathe sitting idle when lenses are turned over or changed. An assistant can do the changing and leave the more skilled craftsperson to work only on lenses. The presentation went on for several minutes. When Handsome finished, the master sat silently. These are your thoughts? the master finally asked. Agostino looked at Handsome, his eyes full of confusion. See, master. See, master. And you instructed Carmela, the kitchen girl, to put them on parchment? See, master. See, master. Now the master's confusion was profound. When? Handsome waited for his answer from Pan, but it didn't come. Apparently, even Pan had to pause before answering this. In the past few days, Shimira and Handsome were scarcely in the same room together, let alone did they have enough time to consult on complicated plans. Finally, Pan whispered his response, deciding to completely ignore the question he had been asked. "'Do you think this lathe could be of benefit to us, Master?' Another long pause by the Master. "'Where did you get these thoughts?' "'They just came to me,' Handsome repeated. The Master sat and stared. Handsome imagined what must be going through his mind— he was beginning to understand how, before modern times, things changed slowly over centuries. To see something radically advanced would be a shock. Put your hand on his right shoulder and say, This design will help your shoulder from being sore, Master. With Handsome's hand still upon the Master's shoulder, the older man looked up and with limpid eyes said, Tomorrow you must find the best carpenter in Verona. "'I'll run and get the ones who worked on the shop,' Ugolino said, anxious to be seen making a contribution. "'No,' Pan instructed Handsome to say. "'We will need a good furniture maker to construct this. The work is more fine, especially the spindles and dops. We must employ someone with a wood lathe.' "'There's a furniture maker in the market,' Julietta said. "'His chairs have turned legs and backs. I've heard the Podesta even has some of his pieces.' The conversation went on long past when people usually went to bed. At one point, when it was getting dark, Agostino stretched out both hands on the table and made a pronouncement. Romero, I must continue making discs for the eyes. Therefore, you must work with the carpenter to make sure everything is done as it should be. So someone else will have to learn to mount lenses. Master, master, Ugolino said enthusiastically, you could teach me to put the lenses in the frames. The master snorted. Yes, and pigs will learn to sing in the church choir. Lincoln laughed till Handsome kicked him under the table. Then the master said sternly, Ugolino, I told you to go to Father Lorenzano's after supper. But, master, Ugolino began. The big red hand banged the table again. Everyone was quiet. Ugolino got up slowly, walked to the door, opened it, and paused for a second. He looked at everyone, then left. As the door closed, Everybody burst back into happy chatter. The master continued, Carmela, tomorrow after market, you will learn to put the lenses in the frames. With your good hands, I think this will not be a problem. That is wonderful, Julietta said enthusiastically, and I will make sure everybody gets their meals, Papa. Just so, daughter. 
But after dinner, you and Romero will go back to the market. You will show him the furniture makers. The idea of spending time alone with Julietta hit Handsome right between the eyes. The master added, Romero, I trust you to assess whether this furniture maker is adequate to the job. If you think he is, bring him back to meet me. I will negotiate a price. Romero. Romero, are you listening? Now it was Lincoln's turn to kick Handsome under the table. Sorry, master, Handsome finally said. I heard you. I was thinking. A daughter in public with a servant? The signora objected. Scandalous. Quiet, woman. We must mobilize our house like an army. This is war. Us against the world. Us against poverty. Soon the plan was set. All had their instructions except Lincoln. Maruccio, the master said. See, master. Lincoln found the master's eyes staring right into his. You have been doing an excellent job, Maruccio. Grazie, master. For one so young, even for one some years older. This caught Lincoln off guard. He actually blushed. Grazie, master. There's not much more to say except to keep doing what you are doing. Well, when we get the new lathe, Lincoln said, it will be me that prepares the dops and flips the lenses over. I've looked at the drawings and thought about it. Lincoln and the master were looking deep into one another's eyes. Sober, sincere, connected. I see you have thought about it, Agostino replied, and thought well, Maruccio. Lincoln smiled. He actually giggled involuntarily, but he was stopped by the big finger of the master's hand, which was held up to make a point. But this, my young friend, you must understand. To do a job well for some days, or weeks, a month even, that is one thing. But for a family to be successful, for a business to flourish, one must be prepared to work well for years. To establish a reputation and wealth, this takes a strong heart. Are you prepared for this, young Maruccio? Lincoln's emotions were mixed. He had been promised to be back in his home with his mother, father, and A.I. nanny within a month. That time was coming soon. He swallowed hard and had to admit that whatever plan the history camp people had put together, it must be working for him to feel so confused. He refocused and found the master still staring at him. He answered sincerely, Yes, master, I can do it. Chapter 26 the next morning, Agostino came downstairs to find the fire blazing, hot leftovers already on the table, and the girls waiting to go to the market. He took out his pouch and counted some coins for Julietta. Carmela and I know exactly what we are going for, and will be back very soon, father. She showed him a shopping list in her own beginner's hand. Aspects of meat, dried sausage, preserved carp, many loaves of bread, figs, apples, pears, chestnuts, and other nutritious foods that could be eaten casually without requiring much time to prepare. Handsome and Lincoln came in, and Agostino noted how even Maruccio looked like he had scrubbed and cleaned himself with extra care this morning. Eat, boys, eat. A full belly makes your fire strong. When Agostino had been on his lathe for a bit over an hour, he looked around and saw that Shamira was already back from the market. Handsome was giving her a lesson on mounting the lenses. The master got up and came to inspect her progress. He had to admit that between Handsome's quiet teaching and Shamira's dexterity, there was little he could suggest to improve her work. He crossed himself and gave thanks to both God and Father Aaron. Then the shop became suddenly noisy again. "'Master, I'm back!' Ugolino shouted as he came running in the door. "'The father says he'll come tomorrow to introduce us to two more churches. 
I'm supposed to run to the priest today and tell them we're coming. Hey, what's Carmela doing in the shop? That's men's work. She's quicker and better than me, Handsome replied. Ugolino had a look on his face that seemed to question why one person would build up another at his own expense. Just as they were locking the shop for dinner, two parishioners of San Zeno showed up to purchase spectacles. The father sent the others ahead, but told Ugolino to stay with him. When the master and Ugolino returned to the house, Agostino showed off the ten soldi already brought in before the morning meal. He said that Ugolino had conducted himself not badly with the customers. He predicted that after the next few weeks, business should be quite regular, booming even. Just then the signora reached across the table to grab a few extra olives, and there was a big ripping sound. Cavulo, she swore, lifting her arm and exposing a large hole with dangling threads. That was my best frock, she whined. Perhaps this afternoon, Julietta suggested, we can visit the Satores. They can sew you a new dress. Yes, a whole new wardrobe, the signora beamed, her attitude changing instantly. We've no money for new clothes, Agostino complained. I'm sure they would trade for discs for the eyes, master, Hanson suggested. They squint when they work. Okay, okay, but not a whole wardrobe, just one frock. And sturdy material, Agostino emphasized, to hold in her bulk. After dinner, Pan watched the House of Della Cappa continue its campaign. Ugolino was sent to tell the priests of their visit tomorrow. Lincoln and Chimera quickly followed the master back to the shop to work. This left Handsome in the house with Julietta and the Signora. Handsome stood back, watching Julietta walk her now giggling mother up the stairs for her nap. The old lady wouldn't stop talking about how she would instruct the tailor on this or that detail of her new wardrobe. Pan could sense how Handsome was now anxious with anticipation. He scanned the youth's respiration and heart rate and noted they had increased dramatically. They climbed even higher when Julietta reappeared at the top of the steps. She stopped and the two young people's eyes met. "'Try to keep to the business at hand, young master,' Pan whispered. Julietta continued her descent. "'Now your sympathetic nervous system is causing the blood vessels of your face to contract. You're blushing.' But Pan could see his advice was to no avail. The boy was totally besotted. Handsome opened the door, and the teen stepped out into the street. They walked side by side— Julietta, her hands clasped in front of her, handsome, his hands behind. Finally, handsome said, The weather, it looks like it may rain today. It was cloudy at the market when Carmela and I were there at dawn. But look, the, the light of the sun breaks through the clouds. It makes everything look soft. Which direction is that? It is the east, handsome said, looking directly at Julietta. The sun comes up in the east. Julietta looked at him for a moment, then quickly in the other direction. The clouds were parting everywhere. Look, the moon is still up in that direction. You can just barely see it. The sunlight makes the moon pale, Handsome said. Then Pan, listening to the awkward conversation, thought to himself, oh, I might as well give the kids some ammunition. He whispered into Handsome's ear, which he repeated, The sun is the moon's handmaiden, and yet, she outshines it. I remember when I was younger, we had several maids, Julietta replied. But none more fair than you, I'm sure. When Handsome repeated this, Julietta gave him a quick glance. Now I am my mother's maid. You will have maids of your own again. These were Handsome's own words. 
Pan raised a holographic eyebrow. It was said with a quiet conviction, implying several things. Julieta looked at Handsome quietly, and they continued walking. In the market, Julieta showed Handsome the furniture maker's stall. Handsome moved his head around so Pan could inspect all the examples of chairs, tables, and trunks. It wasn't fine furniture, but it was far better than most of the plank and limb stuff that most people owned. I understand the Podesta has some of your furniture, Handsome said to the stall attendant. He was a maimed soldier, the master furniture maker's uncle, who was now only good for sitting and talking. He was missing an eye and a foot, but spoke quite well, and had a rather cheerful personality. He hobbled about with a well-carved crutch, made, he said, by his nephew. Yes, the Podesta owns some of our work. They are in his servants' quarters. Despite this, Pan confirmed that the work showed skills that should make the carpenter an adequate candidate for the lathe commission. Chairs of the same design were close enough in size that he probably did know how to measure and follow a pattern, unlike many craftspersons whose work varied significantly from one similar object to another. The furniture was not made here, but in a shop outside of the southern wall, close to San Francesco El Corso. Directions given, they left the market. Many of the merchants called out to Julieta, now a market regular. They called out their hellos and also to tell her of some foodstuffs they were getting in. Quite a few of the women raised their eyes or made hand-shaking gestures to Julieta when they thought Handsome wasn't looking. As they came to the bra gates, Handsome stopped. "'What's this mean?' he asked, imitating the handshaking movement. "'You don't know?' Julieta looked at him mischievously. He reached across and almost touched Julieta, then pulled his finger back like it had been burnt on something hot. The two teenagers giggled. Then Julieta reached forward, put her finger on Handsome's arm, repeating the joke slowly. They stared for a second, till Julieta lowered her eyes chastely. Then they continued on their way out through the gates and out of the market. What they did not see, though Pan did, was Ugolino. He was on his way back from San Fermo, standing, gape-mouthed, no more than fifty paces from them. He had seen this intimacy. Chapter 27 That night at supper, Ugolino sat quietly, slowly eating his food, while others told of their day's adventures. For him, the food didn't hold the magic it had a short day earlier. He listened as the master told how seven more people came to their shop to buy discs for the eyes, how Shamira had done an excellent job with setting the lenses in the frames, how Lincoln had even worked on the lathe while the master was taking care of a customer. Handsome and Julieta told about having to go close to San Francesco al Corso to visit the furniture maker, Master Raphael. He had four apprentices and two journeymen, and also three different sized pole lathes for shaping wood. The carpentry master and journeyman were excited to see such detailed plans, and said they looked forward to the precise work of making the interchangeable dops. Good, good, the master smiled, but remember not to tell them too much about the lathe. If they realize how different it is, they could steal the ideas and take them to Florence. I know you are too trusting, Romero. Don't you worry, Papa, Julietta said. I shall keep an eye on this one. This was too much for Ugolino. He shot to his feet, pushing back the bench roughly and almost knocking the three other teenagers off. Lincoln's bowl spilled to the floor. I'm going to bed, the oaf said gruffly. Ugolino, the master shouted, what's wrong with you? If you ever... But Ugolino didn't wait to hear the end of the master's admonishment. He was gone. 
Not long after, Ugolino could hear the orphans coming up the ladder. They moved quietly like they didn't want to disturb him. He lay curled up in the hay, wrapped in his blanket and pretending to be asleep. Ugolino's miserable mood was made even worse when he heard how happy the orphans were. "'That new lathe is really going to be great,' he heard the younger one whisper. "'I'll have fun working on it with the master.' These words stung Ugolino. "'Yeah, it will really help the family prosper.' When the older orphan said family, he knew he was really referring to Julietta. "'Good night, handsome.' "'Night, Pan,' he heard Lincoln whisper. "'Night. Good night.' A happy handsome lay in the straw, his whole consciousness consumed by Julietta. He replayed their walk in his mind, their first extended eye contact, her smooth skin, the almond-shaped eyes that became even softer when she looked at him. He was falling into those eyes when he felt himself being roughly turned over. The stink of a bulldog's breath filled his face. "'You think you can turn up here and take my place?' Ugolino, what are you talking—' Ugolino's hands grabbed Handsome's shoulders and held him down fast. The brute's big knuckles pushed into Handsome's shoulder socket and pressed on a nerve. "'I'm the senior apprentice. I should sit next to the master.' "'Calm down, Ugolino. You're hurting me. Ow!' "'And stay away from Julietta,' he growled, leaning down with all his weight. "'What are you talking about?' Ugolino's knuckles pushed deeper into Handsome's rotator cuff, causing waves of pain to shoot through his body. "'I'll tell the master what I saw in the piazza,' Ugolino growled. "'How you looked at each—' But his rage seemed to explode when he said this. Handsome felt a knee punching into his ribs, then another into his stomach, causing him to throw up. Handsome felt his face being rubbed into the puke. "'Not such a pretty face now,' Ugolino spit." Handsome looked up helplessly to see Ugolino's enraged visage. Then he saw a piece of heavy lumber in his hand. "'I'll change that pretty face of yours for good!' he shouted at the defenseless Handsome. A dark figure flew through the air. Lincoln slammed into Ugolino. The larger youth flew backwards and hit his head on the corner of the ladder. All went quiet. Handsome began to cough. Lincoln helped him to his knees. Pan popped out of Handsome's shoulder. Actually, it was only a large, single goat eye floating in the air, looking around and also casting light for the boys to see. Ugolino lay unconscious. Lincoln went over to the big, motionless lump. Handsome rubbed his throat and arm. Then the eye turned into a little whirlwind. A moment later, Pan was standing by Ugolino. He bent down and looked at the prone figure. "'Is he all right?' Lincoln asked fearfully. "'Is he—' "'He's breathing,' Pan assured. "'But he may have a concussion.' Pan reached out like he was going to lift Ugolino's eyelid, but his holographic hand went right through him. "'Lincoln, young master, lift his eyelid for me. I'll do a retina and blood vessel scan to assess the damage.' "'I didn't mean to hurt him,' Lincoln said, scared. "'You did what was necessary, young master,' Pan said seriously. "'Don't move his head or neck just in case. Only his eyelid.' There. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, the imp said, looking into Ugolino's eye. It only took a few moments. He's fine. There's a very slight concussion, but the data I get shows he's living with previous head blow damage far more serious. This shouldn't change a thing. Master Handsome, you look pale. Shall I check you? Handsome waved Pan off. No, I'm all right. What are we going to do about this guy? Lincoln said. He's nuts. 
Hmm, Pan murmured. I have a wee plan that might influence our friend here. Pan had Handsome place his little brass lamp in the crevice of a beam to give him a full view of the loft. While the two boys pretended to sleep, Pan expanded himself up to his full height of one meter. Then he strode over to the still-prone Ugolino, who was now snoring loudly. "'Oh, being non-corporeal can become tiresome,' Pan complained. "'Will one of you please wake him for me?' Handsome threw a piece of wood at Ugolino's leg. When Ugolino stirred, Pan took on a serious look. "'Oh! Oh! Oh, my head!' Ugolino groaned. "'Rise, you worthless soul!' Pan proclaimed loudly. "'See what eternity has in store for you!' "'Oh, shut up, you stupid orf!' Ugolino's curse stopped short as he opened his eyes and gazed upon the self-luminated figure of a church fresco come to life. "'I... I... I...' he stammered. "'Behold!' Pan shouted. "'The dolt of death utters forth his perspicuous soliloquy. "'I, I, I!' "'And then Pan doubled over in mock laughter. "'I, I, I!' Ugolino repeated. "'Oh, disappointment is my lot. "'I believed I would be visiting a sinner with style. "'I understood you to be the deflowerer of Florence, "'the plague of Padua, the mangler of Mantua, "'the sodomizer of Syracuse, "'the blight destroyer, ruination, damnation, "'vexation and virulence of Verona, "'and all you can muster are musty eye-eye-eye-eyes.' Such a disappointment. Are you the devil? Me? The devil? Ha! The devil waste his time on a useless like you? I am but one of his minions, freed from the eternal flames for a few minutes to take you, yes, to the Satan of sadness. But I am not dead. What? Not dead, my love. But you rot as you lie there. Ugolino did a double take, looking quickly where his head had lain, checking to see if it was true. Then he jumped to his feet. No, demon spirit, I, I am alive. See, I still breathe. He took several deep breaths and then looked dizzy. And my heart, he added, is beating like the wings of a bat. Pan looked serious and paused for effect. He walked over to Ugolino, coming up only to his waist. Ugolino recoiled. Pan looked the youth up and down. Perhaps I've been sent on a fool's errand, another bedevilment by that devious emperor of demons, designed to cause me more unspeakable torment if I don't bring you back, Pan looked thoughtful. Perhaps I should kill you to save myself more unspeakable pain? Ugolino gasped so loudly he wheezed. Handsome and Lincoln stifled a laugh and rustled about in their blankets, like they were dreaming. Pan looked Ugolino solemnly in the eye. Yes, I can still hear your heart beating, and I can certainly perceive your breath. Phew! He made a fanning motion in front of his nose. Perhaps your breath is what I recognized wrongly as rotting remains. See, see, that's it, Ugolino agreed. It is the foul smell of the living, not the dead. Lincoln snorted, and Pan could see him biting his hand to control his giggling. "'Well, no matter. If I leave you alive today, I'll come for you soon enough. "'To strangle you now would put suspicion on the angelic orphans that share your bed. 
I would not want them to suffer for your righteous reward of death. See, see, that's right. They are saintly youths. I do them wrong to torment them. Then why do you do it? The master torments me and I them. It's my right. Your right? I see. Does the master do you right or ill when he scourges you? Ill most of the time. So sometimes I do mischief because I might as well do the crime if I am to do the punishment. Then both you and your masters shall share a pot of boiling oil right next to the flayers of flesh. This image seemed to terrify you, Galeno. Falling to his knees, he looked Pan straight in the eye. What penance must I do to take me from the road to... He seemed to be searching in his mind for the right word. Perdition, he finally said. Pan looked surprised. Penance? That would bespeak a fear of hell. I thought by your actions you longed for a place in the netherworld. No, no, I, I wish to spend eternity with the angels. Is there penance? Have I time? The holographic goatman turned and walked a few paces, stroking his little goatee. Hmm, penance? Penance. Then he turned. There might be a way. What? What must I do to put me in the good graces of God? He said, walking on his knees quickly toward Pan. Do? Not much. But I warn you, a tally of your sins is being kept, as sure as I am a legate of Tartarus. If you are lying, confess now and accept your damnation. But if you are sincere, I may offer you salvation. Yes, spirit, I am sincere. Very well. Then mark what I command of thee, and do not alter one thing that is prescribed. And then maybe, perhaps, perchance, just possibly, there is a faint hope of your ascension up, rather than ignominious descent down. Yes, yes, I shall do exactly as you say. Firstly, you must not do harm to these orphans again, but embrace them as brothers. Have I not already said as much? Be not jealous or envious of their deeds and accomplishments, and covet not what either may acquire. You pause in your enthusiasm, brother. To this can you not agree? I, 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 Pan raised a finger. I agree, I agree. Good. You shall no longer lodge in this loft. Take yourself and your things, and move into one of the stalls below. But just because one rooms in a stable, one does not have to live like an animal. At all times you must keep the place clean and aired. You must faithfully clean the chamber pot, rinsing it with water twice daily to deny the flies food. As for yourself, you must wash at the town fountain, not once a day, but twice like the chamber pot, thrice on Sundays. Your hair must be shorn and combed, clothes changed weekly without fail. You must clean your teeth. My teeth? How? Why? How? With vinegar and a clean rag. Why? Because I say it. I've never heard of such a thing. Clean teeth to get into heaven? Then keep your foul smile, and the dirt will be cleansed by hellfire. I beg forgiveness. Vinegar shall be my filthy mouth soap. And that is not the worst. More? 
Heaven has a high price, Ugolino said under his breath. The hardest of all, your duty to others in the home and out. Firstly, you must be kind, not only to these orphans, but to everyone. Above and beyond that, do whatever the master tells you. Go to church, go to confession, help the priest two afternoons every week. And lastly, you must not tell the master or anybody about my visit to you. Knowledge of visits from spirits would make heaven and hell a certainty and cause trouble for faith. Anyway, none would believe if you told of one such as me. Chapter 28 The next morning Lincoln was laughing as he splashed the cold water from the rain barrel onto his face. I, 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 he repeated out loud, imitating the big oaf's first reaction at seeing Pan. He was still laughing when the door opened and in walked the master. You like the cold water, Maruccio? Agostino inquired quizzically. I was just thinking of something funny, master. Laughter is good for the soul, my son. Just then, Handsome came climbing down the ladder. Buongiorno, Handsome said. Buongiorno. Where's Ugolino? Lincoln and Handsome looked at each other warily. The master's smile faded. That inconstant son of the streets. They worked for a time in the shop and then went to have morning dinner. They were almost finished when the door to the house opened. The master shouted, Ugolino, where have you... Then he stopped. The youth's hair was shorn to a stubble. His face, still pockmarked and blotchy, was clean. And he had a change of clothes. Nice duds, dude, Lincoln said. Of course, the translator simply changed it to, Nice clothes, senor. Grazie, brother, Ugolino answered. Master, please forgive my lateness. I was at morning mass and Father Lorenzano asked a favor of me. Where did you get those clothes? You didn't steal them, did you? The master asked seriously. No, master, no. My word on the baby Jesus, he said. The priest gave them to me. You look so different, Ugolino, Julietta said. Very clean. Very nice. Grazie, Ugolino answered, clutching his hands in front of him in nervous supplication. What's that smell? The master inquired, wrinkling his nose. I washed my whole body. Ugolino said, touching his body in different places, trying to figure which bit of ripeness he had missed. No, it's not that, the master said, sniffing the air again. It's vinegar. Ah, Ugolino said, he bared his teeth. I used vinegar to clean my mouth. His teeth were still awful, but a noticeable difference could be seen. And master, here! Ugolino reached into a pouch on his waist and brought out a small handful of coins. He plunked them on the table. I took two pair of discs for the eyes and sold them at church this morning. A shocked silence enveloped the table. Pan whispered something into Lincoln's ear, and he repeated it to the table. I think Brother Ugolino has found his calling. Perhaps he can be a vendor about town for the discs for the eyes? Yes, master, Ugolino agreed enthusiastically. Maybe I can't be a lens maker, but I can sell our house's wares. Ugolino, what has caused this transformation? Julieta asked. It is truly a miracle. Ugolino put his head down. Lincoln knew Ugolino was forbidden to tell the whole reason, so he was curious what old ugly would say. I want to go to heaven, Ugolino said solemnly. I want 
to have a home. Lincoln felt the tiniest bit guilty. The master crossed himself, then put his hand on Ugolino's arm. He picked up the pile of coins, chose the smallest, and gave it to Ugolino, bidding him keep it. Then he handed him a bowl of food. The two smiled at each other. Shortly after dinner, Father Lorenzano and Master Raphael arrived for a meeting about the lathe. Pan was whispering in Handsome's ear, making him sound quite knowledgeable. The master negotiated a price and then said, "'Romero is capable to finish the details of the lathe's manufacture. Master Raphael, I need this machine in a week.' Is this possible? Good. Romero will go with you today to observe the start. He'll then visit you twice daily to see its progress. Father Lorenzano, uh, perhaps you and Ugolino should be off to talk with your fellow priests. Will you not attend with us today? Lorenzano asked. Agostino put his hand on Ugolino's shoulder. I now have three trustworthy apprentices, all with different talents. I must go back to making lenses with Maruccio. But, Father... Thank you for your godly influence on our Ugolino. He seems to have been reborn. Father Lorenzano looked at Ugolino, first a bit confused, and then he smiled. Ah, Yugi is special to all of us. Chapter 29 Agostino was astounded that the new lathe was not only delivered on time, but that it worked perfectly. He was used to problems cropping up, arguments with suppliers and customers, delays and deception. It was the way of the world, his old master had told him. When Agostino shared these thoughts with Master Raphael, he agreed, but said the difference with this job had been Romero. The carpentry master praised Handsome lavishly, saying that his observations and suggestions when they had problems were as if the boy had insights and experience of a much older man. Ten older men, he added. As for the lathe, with its multiple dops and pedal power, it more than doubled Agostino's production. They were selling the finished product almost as fast as they could make it. When nobody was looking, Agostino took Handsome aside and clasped his hand. "'You're a good boy,' he said, looking him in the eye. When he freed Handsome's hand, the teenager looked down to see five misshapen denarii in his palm. "'Don't tell anyone,' Agostino said confidentially." Agostino was now selling so many spectacles that he had to stay up late one night and create a hiding place for his new wealth. He carefully removed a large stone from the side of the fireplace, hollowed out the mortar and stones behind it, put his strong box in, then fit the front stone back perfectly. He piled firewood in front of it, making it impossible to see. Pan was finally able to call a meeting of all the teens. Things had been so busy it was almost impossible, but he had insisted, saying it was important. "'The month is over in a few days,' Pan said nervously. Instead of standing in the straw of the loft, Pan's head was the only thing projecting from Handsome's shoulder. "'Aramis should be back soon.' "'I really do hope he'll let us come back and visit,' Lincoln said. "'I'm surprised that he hasn't come sooner,' Pan replied. "'I thought he'd tried to stop us from introducing the new lathe.' "'Pan, why are you just hanging out of Handsome's arm? "'It looks ridiculous. "'Well, that's because something odd has happened to me.' "'What?' Handsome asked. "'Promise none of you will laugh?' Pan asked. "'What is going on?' Chimera demanded. "'Pan sighed, then tweaked his nose. "'His regular whirlwind happened, but it was purple. "'When he landed, the teens gasped. "'You've got a tail!' Lincoln shouted. "'And long curly hair!' Handsome said. 
And your butt is purple, Lincoln howled. Also, if you look closely, you'll notice the tips of my ears are twelve millimeters longer, Pan said dejectedly. Why did you change yourself? Shamira asked. That's just it, Pan said, his eyes filled with worry. I didn't change myself. It happened, spontaneously. How? Hansom asked. It was soon after we started using the new lathe. How could that affect anything? Hansom asked. I think we somehow changed the timeline by introducing an advanced tool. Somewhere down the timeline, something has changed in history to make me different. But you said the history camp people from the future would stop us before it changed things. And that was just speculation. Wait a minute, Hansom said. If we changed time, wouldn't all of our memories be changed if something like your appearance changed? Why would we remember your old form? Like I said, it's all speculation. Since our society can't time travel, what happens is all speculative. Like the old science fiction of centuries past, there are different schools of thought. But this is real. Actually, I kind of like your new look, Shimura said. Truth be told, confided Pan, so do I. But what's more important is what should we do? I'm having my doubts that the history camp people will play fair, so I suggest we really try to introduce something that will disrupt the historical timeline. Something to force them to show up. That's why I wanted to show you all this. Mistress? Shamira opened her portfolio and took out the sheets of handmade paper. Pan had me draw these up, Shamira said. It looks really simple. She spread the plans out on the straw and Pan illuminated them. We could use thick parchment to create homemade cardboard for the barrel and gaskets, she went on. Oh, it's a telescope, Handsome said. Zippy, Lincoln said excitedly. This ought to shake those history camp elders' tree. Shamira could get the needed parchment and glue from the market tomorrow, Pan explained. But that takes money, she said. Master Della Kappa makes Julieta and me account for every coin. No problem, Handsome offered. He took out the coins Agostino had given him. Is this enough? Excellent, Pan said. Master Handsome and Lincoln, tonight we'll stay up late and create the lenses. You shall both get to practice your craftsmanship. Pan saw Lincoln smiling at him. What, young master, what? You look really funny with a purple butt. The next night, with the lenses made and the parchment and glue at hand, the teenagers gathered in the workshop. Pan stood on the workbench, supervising the making of the telescope, his new, longer tail swinging back and forth. "'No, no, no, you're putting too much glue on here,' he complained. "'Not enough there. Don't buckle the parchment when you roll it.' Putting the lenses in was the fiddly part. A cardboard gasket was put at both ends and glued. "'Let it dry first. Patience! Patience!' Pan complained, the most impatient of all. The lenses were then placed at both ends, and additional gaskets glued in front of them. Shamira, whose deft fingers completed these final touches, held the finished telescope up. It was really quite a simple affair, but they were all pleased. "'Ladies first, Handsome said. Shamira held it to her eye and looked across the room at Lincoln. He made a face. "'It works!' she announced. "'Cool!' Lincoln laughed. "'Let's look at the moon!' "'Wait,' Handsome said. "'I'm kind of worried about giving this to the Della Kappas. 
I know you want to provoke the history camp time travelers, Pan, but I don't want to get the master in trouble with them. And if improving the lathe had an effect on history, the telescope could really change things. How can a little thing like this cause trouble? Lincoln asked. What's the big deal? Oh, the telescope introduced now would be a very big deal, young master, Pan answered. It wasn't invented till the 16th century. Armies, navies, anyone could see their enemies much sooner. Events in history could be completely altered. Everyone will want one. That's what I've been thinking, Handsome said. And once we show Master de la Capa this, taking it away isn't an option. He'll know how to make them. I'm worried about what the history camp people would do about him then. Perhaps you're right, Pan said, pulling on one of his new dreadlocks as he thought. I was sure the history camp elders wouldn't let us get this far with the lathe. And as I think of it, if the telescope was introduced now and it changed some battle, perhaps the timeline of the whole world could be changed. One of our ancestors might not be born or created, and we would... Disappear. Lincoln repeated, wide-eyed, freaky. Okay, Pan continued, we shall give it more thought. Hide it in the straw upstairs till we've come to a conclusion about this. Yeah, but can we look at the moon with it first? Lincoln asked. After all, we made it all by ourselves, he said proudly. Let's see how it works. Okay, Hanson replied, reaching for the door. Just as he touched the latch, it lifted by itself and the door swung open. Pan instantly evaporated into thin air, not even bothering to create his genie-like puff of smoke. Master de la Capa was standing in the doorway with Julieta right beside him. Handsome stood there, telescope in hand, having no time to hide it. Chapter 30 Oh, oh, Pan thought from inside his lamp. "'What's that?' Agostino asked, noticing the lenses. "'You made this in my shop? With my glass?' He didn't sound angry, just direct. "'I used the reject lenses from my practicing master. I reground them smaller.' "'What is it?' Pan quickly whispered in Handsome's ear. Uh, "'Just a toy I invented,' Handsome repeated. Agostino inspected the item and put the large end to his eye. "'The other way, master,' Handsome corrected.' "'Pointing at the moon,' Lincoln said enthusiastically. Agostino stepped back outside and pointed the telescope toward the sky. "'Holy mother of God!' he gasped, falling back into the room. "'How can this be? It's magic!' Julietta took the telescope and stepped outside. "'No, master,' Handsome said, repeating a phrase he heard Pan use the night before. "'It's not magic. It's two lenses working together. It's lenscraft.' "'Romero, it's so clever,' Julietta called. "'I feel I can almost touch the moon. "'And look, I think I can see mountains upon it.' "'So it was Julietta,' Pan thought, "'not Galileo, who is the first person "'to recognize the mountains on the moon for what they are.' "'How did you know how to do this?' the master asked. "'When I was polishing a lens and comparing its surface curve against an earlier lens, "'I just held up one in front of the other and boom!' "'Handsome repeated this. Then I noticed Maruccio looked closer to me than he was. "'Oh, master, it's just a toy. I'm sorry if you think I wasted your glass.' "'Pan watched the master staring thoughtfully for several long moments.' 
He could tell his mind was a whirl with all the uses for such an invention. He could tell Agostino most certainly knew this was anything but a toy. Romero, I'm going to take this with me, the master said. Tomorrow at church I'll show it around. Maybe we can sell a few of these new toys for a few soldi, eh? Whatever you think, master, Handsome said apprehensively. Just be careful, master, Shamira reminded. The glue will take most of the night to dry. Agostino looked at Shamira and the workbench, noticing all the carefully cut bits of bonded paper, the glue pot, and the glue brush in her hand. Yes, Handsome added, the lenses must stay perfectly aligned to one another at a precise distance apart. I help too, Lincoln added. Yes, was all Agostino could think to say as he turned to leave. Good boy. Agostino was obviously at a loss when assessing this curious group of children. Carmela, are you coming to bed? Julieta asked. I'll be right there. I want to clean up. When the master left, Pan popped back out. So, now the telescope has been introduced several hundred years earlier than before, Pan said, a look of trepidation on his face. I wonder what's going to come of this, Shamira said. None of us has disappeared yet, Handsome said. I guess all our same ancestors were born. What color is Pan's butt now? Lincoln asked, peering around the AI. You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to www.loriekaufman.com. That's www.loriekaufman.com.